0: Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, July 28th, 2019, and I am your host, Hertsy Hertz, here in studio with Maddie Love and Greg Layden, and via phone, we have Lynn Feldman. Today, we are talking about art and science communica- art and science communication, being human for the future, Lynn is our special guest, and some fun facts about Lynn is that she is from Minnesota, or Minneapolis is her hometown. She moved to D.C. about five years ago to be at the crossroads of science, history, and museums. Minneapolis isn't the crossroads? I'm so disappointed. (laughs) And she has biked 600 miles from St. Paul to St. Louis along the Mississippi. Her credentials include Science Fulbright Scholar to Israel for Evolutionary Gentiles. Genoma, genomics genoma, thank you <laughs> it's early in the morning collaborated with Nina Jemalinski on a book about evolution of the human skin color skin we are in and she's the artist in residence at CSHL which I don't have what that stands for Lynn what does that stand for Cold Spring Harbor Lab And my apologies for the acronym
1: that's just not good smart use of jargon
0: <laughs> it happens it happens but this is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952 946 6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us, or check out the Facebook page at Atheist Talk. The phone is only available when we are live, but you can always email, tweet, comment whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Maddie, Greg, Lynn, good morning, and welcome to Atheist Talk.
2: Good morning. Thank you. Morning.
0: Yep, good morning. Thanks, Huxley, for that nice intro. Thank you. So, art, science, so many people think that these are two completely separate things. Convince me otherwise.
2: <laughs> well, I, actually, if I can make a comment, uh, to begin with, I, on the way down here, uh, Huxley and I were listening to the radio, and you had, on this very station, Michael Shermer being interviewed on a uh, philosophy talk or something like that? I see some cringing here. I don't know. Not Shermer fans. Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> okay. Well, not Shermer. <laughs> yeah. What I, I, uh, for smart all, I bet, guy, though. He's a smart guy. But what I what I heard him saying, what I heard him doing, was making the Serengeti fallacy about every three or four um, sentences, and it was kind of. So I'm going to write something about that. But um, it, it's it's. I think it, it, it's a communication thing. Art and science are both forms of communication in a sense, and the the scientist is the translator between the natural world and the rest of us, okay? And you don't need to do science to appreciate the natural world, but if you want to understand it, you have to do science. And and the scientists are basically translating what the natural world is busy saying. Not intentionally saying, and not saying in a linguistic sense, but it's got information, and the scientist is translating that information for for humans to, to have that information. And artists are translating something, and not being an artist is harder for me to say. But artists are translating something for other people to see also. And my recent thinking on this is that that's also what writers do. And I consider myself to be a writer. And, in fact, Sungunogo the search for Sungunogo, my my novel, has just been put out on Kindle yesterday. Ooh. So you can go, go buy it, all the ten twenty thousand 20,000 listeners. Timing when? <laughs> It'll be uh, in paperback form in the next day or two. Anyway, um, Writers do that, too, and what we are seeing now is a big shift in information and focus on how we produce the rhetoric and the communication that we do publicly, like how do you title a newspaper article, how do you write the first paragraph of something so people will get a a sense of it and maybe read more. How do you make things clicky and how you make things sticky, as my friend Joe Brown would say. Clicky means, yes, I got your attention. Sticky means I've changed your brain cells slightly for the medium to long-term. And how do you do that? And that's a writer's problem. But then I realized that's actually what all the scientists and artists are doing, too. That that this actually, to me, literature and writing links together the concept of science. This is my latest thought. It might be completely wrong. Literature and writing links together the concept of what we usually think of as fine art, graphics art, and science.
1: Ah, that's perfect, Greg. That's that's brilliant. To, can, Greg, can you say something about your background? Because... Um, I come from
2: the arts, you come from the sciences. Can you just say a few things that if people don't know who you are? You sure. Sure. For, for many years, even though I'm a very much a strong advocate of modern education, I have a very untraditional educational background. I never went to high school, and I didn't really go to college. But I did get my Ph.D. at Harvard studying anthropology, in which my um, work was with the F.A. Pygmies, of the, what is now the Congo of the Utturi Forest. Which, by the way, not to keep coming back to it, but that's where many of the stories come from that are in the novel that just came out. Anyway, um, and so I, I, I became a—I was a person who studied archaeology in North America, and basically my job was threatened. And I, t- I realized I was going to have to get a higher degree to keep in my position. So I went and took a class from David Pilbeam and Andrew Hill and John Barry at Harvard in human evolution, and I knew nothing about it beforehand, and then after that I never looked back. I just—that's all I've done. Well, I did for my graduate career years afterwards, um, and then more recently, being largely disenfranchised with the um, with academia, I've left academia and I'm now I do private consulting, teaching, writing, but my interest is in. For a long time, I spent time in the trenches fighting on the behalf of evolution against creationists, and then that shifted to fighting in the, in the trenches on behalf of science, especially with respect to climate change. So I work now a lot on climate change. I have one peer-reviewed publication on the topic, so I'm not a, a super scientist in it, but I am a scientist, climate change scientist, technically. And so I do a lot of communication and writing, and I work with a lot of the top scientists that are working in different fields on that, and we do a lot of public information and public um, discourse on, on climate change. Yeah,
1: neat. well, that's, uh, that's where I jumped into with human evolution. Um, I had my studio in Minneapolis, and I love Minneapolis, (laughs) you guys, Um, and just happily to be working away But when the uh, human genome was sequenced, and then when some of the very early direct-to-consumer kits were available, I grabbed up one of those kits, and that was in 2005, and I absolutely couldn't believe it, that I could be part of the experiment really um to send in my DNA and find out something about where we came from because that was I just never thought in like my lifetime our lifetimes that we would know some of that um, there was all there was just limited information and in fossils and other materials that um, archaeologists and anthropologists are finding right Craig Yeah yeah yep. and then when and then what really blew my mind when we could start to get ancient DNA and then contemporary DNA to really understand human migration. And that's where I just started just to do all the work that would communicate these amazing ideas, this amazing story that we just didn't have access to in, in any other way. Also coupled with, just like you were saying, Greg, um, the anti-intellectualism, anti-science, that, that was... Um, really disturbing to me. So I figured if I could do something with images and storytelling, it might be a way to get to people and not scare them off um, right away with words like
0: evolution. And (laughs) yeah, that's where I'm coming from. And so could you tell us a little bit about like maybe your latest project, Lynn? Oh, sure. Um, Well, I've worked with a lot of different materials trying to figure out,
1: looking at different ways to some of the ideas to see what as Greg just said what is what is sticky what, what people respond to and I found say the more that I worked in different media drawing, painting, pastels animation I really like to write about it as well and so what I'm working on now is an interactive ebook. the title is We Want Our Genome Story and it's for people who are So many of us, about 26 million actually, have gotten our DNA from one of the direct-to-consumer kits like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. And we're ready and we've got just enough understanding now to take the next leap into whole genome sequencing. So that's what the book is about. It's really like, what is a genome? What is the whole genome? Why do we need this? What's it going to do for us? What What will we find in these? areas of the, the genome we've never sequenced before because these these kits that we've been using, even some of the medical ones, most of them, only sequence about 1% or less of our DNA. So there's a lot of information there we're not getting at. So the book is coming out on Apple iTunes this fall.
2: And can you say the name again of the book? We Want we Our... Want g- our-
1: we want our genome story.
2: Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. Sounds like a chant. It's got about 60 illicit- Oh, I'm sorry. I keep talking. No, it's what, okay. What
0: we- I just said it sounds like a chant.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it probably is in the book.
0: Yeah. Get it. Know it. Own it. Yep. So
1: the character is an artist who goes on a journey, and she takes two paths, and one path is where she meets bioinformaticists and... Um, pharmacogeneticists and genome editors, people like that that are behind the scenes that we normally wouldn't meet, Um, genetic counselors. And the other path is where she gets cancer. And so it's looking at a lot of the uh, interesting new products, um, digital apps, um, methodologies for
0: understanding cancer and treating it.
2: And I, I have seen earlier drafts of this work and it is pretty spectacular.
0: Oh, thanks, Greg. I was going to say, it sounds awesome, though. Maddie, I don't know if you caught the cancer part. So Maddie and I listen to a, a comedy podcast that watches Christian movies, and oftentimes a character's mom will get cancer, and that's how they, they turn from being an atheist into a believer. So I had to admit there's a slight smirk. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like I've heard that.
2: In this case, it's science.
0: Exactly. And, you know, as a person, a relative of mine actually got cancer at one point and when people were asking oh is this turning you to 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 god and such they were like no actually i feel better not knowing or that this isn't some weird test thing anyways please stay with us through the break we will return to atheist talk with maddie greg and lynn i'm Hertzy Hertz, and you're listening to am 950 ktnf the progressive voice of minnesota
3: Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals, and we're making the dirt dead, and then we're adding nitrates to the water, and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
2: I'm Richard R.J. Escal, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour, every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
4: This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell.
5: Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents.
3: (laughs) Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment.
2: Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
5: Hi, my name is Mickey McCabe, and I'm the owner of Cucumbers Restaurant at 75th and Francine Dinah. If you've never been to Cucumbers, it's a buffet-style restaurant with a huge variety of salads, homemade soups, bakery items, and hot entrees that change daily and nightly. Plus, our always fresh fruit and delicious ice cream. We're open for lunch and dinner, but Sunday brunch is my favorite time at Cucumbers. With scrambled eggs, waffles, French toast, bacon, sausage, baked ham chicken fajitas, brunch potatoes, warm gooey cinnamon rolls, and many other items to choose from, it's no wonder why Cucumbers has always been a popular Sunday destination. So whether you're looking to skip Mass, some place to go after Mass, or just great food to maintain your Mass, Cucumbers is the answer to your prayers. Bring in your church bulletin or Minnesota Atheist newsletter and receive a $2 discount off the buffet price. Cucumbers, one heavenly buffet at 75th and France in Edina.
6: Don't believe in God? Join the club. Humanists, atheists, and freethinkers have joined the American Humanist Association since 1941 to advocate for progressive values and equality for non-theists in America. Located in Washington, D.C., the American Humanist Association lobbies Congress on Humanist Issues, protects the rights of atheists in the courts, and supports more than 140 local chapters. Visit us at AmericanHumanist.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter to learn how you can join the club today. Welcome back to AM
0: 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz. In studio with me is Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and via phone, we have Lynn Fellman. Atheist Talk is produced with the funding from Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Maddie, Greg, Lynn, and I this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at at talk, or check out the Facebook page. Maddie, Greg, Lynn, welcome back. Thank Thank you. you. Yes, so Greg, I know you wanted to get into the genome too. Yeah,
2: let me ask Lynn a question, and I think Maddie may have a question yeah. also. So my question is, I got a kit recently for a gift, and just around the time that I got the kit, kit, I started seeing all these news stories about how people who did this got arrested for felonies they had committed years ago, et cetera, and I don't think I've got left DNA behind at any felony sites <laughs> that they know about. It's quite possible. <laughs> but
0: yeah. great, now I'm getting
2: worried. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm just wondering. But seriously, um, what's your? Do, do people people have the uh, concern that there's a privacy invasion? That I'm actually no longer own my own alleles if I do this or something like that. Uh, what do you say that people have those concerns?
1: I, well, it's a valid concern, and we need we need legislation. We need safeguards. We need like I don't know, just security methods. So that when, so we can own our own DNA and, and give it to, share it to whomever we wish, but, but definitely have power with our own DNA. On the other hand, um, n- there are no secrets anymore. Once that data is out there, um, there's no privacy. They, they can know who we are. Um, it's something that George Church addressed really early on, um, over 15 years ago when, um, he did his um, first project to sequence 10 people and uh, shared all of their data. So I, I don't know where this is going, but we definitely need probably some third-party good companies to step in and, and start to manage this better. We do have one piece of legislation that um, from five years ago called GINA, and that was a protection from employers and in using our health data. But that has some real gaps in it as well. What do you think,
2: Greg? Oh, well, I I don't know. I do remember you and I interviewing George Church, but more more recently than that. But uh, I just don't know. Um, one, I I kind of agree with something you implied, which is there's so many of us that have committed these earlier felonies that um, you know they can't possibly expend the resources to. to I mean, it, it you're just like walking around in a big mob you're one of a billion people. And so when a little meteor hits this town square, it's not going to be you. Um, So in a sense, there's to some extent safety in numbers. On the other hand, the ability to crunch data at really huge uh, um, quantities of data efficiently and effectively and um, trace it down to a person. So I don't know if my concern is more from watching a few episodes of Criminal Minds where Penelope sits there and wiggles her fingers and all of a sudden we know who did it because they took a kit. (laughs) Or if I'm, uh you know it it seems to me that the whole idea originally of making a gene something that you can patent was a really boneheaded move to begin with, and we 're paying yeah, for that right yeah
0: I, yeah. I do th- a note on the criminal minds or law and order s v u and such I think most of the time when they 're doing that wiggle fingers they 're using the database that has been put together by the criminal like the FBI and things right. like that, the national database. So typically to get entered into that database, you have to actually do a felony. And typically it's like you have to do a felony over X, Y, Z, whatever.
4: Right, I but think. what would stop a search warrant from requesting that a company turn over its data?
0: True. No, true. That, that That's definitely...
4: Or... If it just happens, well, become well. This is public, and so we're allowed to search I mean, it. Right.
0: I was gonna say we're having the same thing with cell phones too, though. You yes. know, where, where does that? Where do those lines?
2: Well, our cell phones are all all have our fingerprints on them, in them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: And I did that. Mine has my my some kind of eye pattern as well. I, yeah, so I purposely all, yeah. did that.
0: <laughs> oh, funny because it's like actually mine. I don't have any of the fingerprint or eye pattern stuff on my
6: phone.
4: Well, I think we had something here in Minnesota similar to this in that. I don't know if the Minnesota Department of Health ever instituted a policy or if they were just discussing a policy, but, you know, one of my, in my career, I collect blood from newborns for newborn screening. And I know there was at least discussion on taking the leftover blood spot samples and selling it to a third party without any identification, but just so they could do, you know, mass background genomic studies on it. right? Just looking for patterns and... um, without any data attached to it, and people were very, very upset, and I know I ended up going to a a court case to uh, give parents the right to say, I would like you to please not submit this. And to be fair, I don't know that the Department of Health ever actually submitted any samples or sold any samples. I just know that it was at least a discussion.
2: Mm -hmm. I remember you doing that, and there's been a a number of cases like that where various research projects, someone's got a research project, they get someone to uh, agree to this research or there's a legal requirement for them to do this thing. And then suddenly, because this is my lab, this is my research, I got this big grant from the NIH, it lets me do these five things, so I'm going to use this for the other four things, too. And if that if those are rock samples collected by a geologist, that would make total sense. But if they're personal data observations or blood samples, it's obviously restricted. You had a question, though, about this stuff. Well,
4: too. yeah, and, and I, so, Lynn, you were talking about, you know, the, these home genomic kits. And one of the things I've I've heard and... Please correct me if I'm wrong. Is that I could send my kit in, and I may have ancestry from across the globe, but it's gonna there's gonna be a bias to my ancestry coming from Europe, because that's where we have the DNA primers for.
1: That's right. It's a twofold um, kind of approach here. It's not only do you, um the different direct-to-consumer companies have, have different ways of looking at your DNA data. They use different, different methodologies. They look at different markers in your DNA to, under, to give your information. So there's that factor. But also, when it's aligned with the reference genome, which is what the National Institute of Health has been building, um, that source information did come originally from only about seven people who lived in the Boston area. And about 70% came from one man. So the reference genome, is, in fact, is also not very diverse. So you're absolutely right, Maddie, that it's, it's I look at it this way, that direct-to-consumer kits, I think, are, are a really good first step. Um, jump in, get to know things, learn some new tech, um, terminology. It's really kind of good basic genomics information. But think of it as a rough draft. That once you get your whole genome sequenced and we have more sophisticated ways to look at what all that means, that'll really fine tune a lot of the information
4: do we know and because I'm not all of all of the work I do at DNA is on the clinical side and where we're looking for specific like bacterial DNA. Um, do you know like if if I submit a sample to one of these bigger larger companies and ten years down the road they've developed primers from different areas of the globe will that will I would I need to submit a second sample for them to be able to test it against that or is the information they got from running my genome is that something they can then apply and move forward
1: well that's a really good question because um some of the scientific papers that I've read and usually I just read the introduction and then the conclusion cuz the middle part is difficult for me cuz I'm an artist but um what they're finding is that you read it once and
0: I need mean, sequence at once. And then you. Lynn? Hang, up, hang on. Oops. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you, but we have to do the outro so we can go to commercials. But I would love for you to finish that thought as soon as we're back. And we'll return right after the break. We'll return with Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and via phone, Lynn Velman. Please stay with us. I'm Candy Braffle, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine and host of Green Tea Conversations, a new show for people who are on a journey to take
6: responsibility for their health and play a more active role in their family's well-being. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts who share the latest in natural
0: holistic approaches in a fun and informative way. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversation as we awaken to natural health. Visit us at naturaltwincities.com. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design. I have a philosophy. Furniture should be beautiful, but if it's not comfortable, it's not much use to anyone. That's why at Habitation, we work hard to make sure that the furniture we sell is stylish and functional. Unique and useful. What more can you ask for? Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. It's the Twin Cities' best furniture and design showroom.
3: Atheists, secular humanists, and free thinkers. Here you are listening to the Minnesota Atheists Talk Radio Show. Atheists Talk. We hope you are enjoying it. If having a frankly atheist perspective on the radio waves appeals to you, please consider making a contribution to our radio fund. Our contract came up for renewal, and we need your help if you want the program to stay on the air. That will make sure that you can continue to have opportunities to hear interesting speakers with non-religious perspectives, and you can call up and ask them questions, too. Get the details on our website at minnesotaatheists.org, where you will find buttons to make it easy to make a secure donation through PayPal. Or, if you have a business and would like to reach an intelligent, progressive audience, please contact us through our website. That's minnesotaatheists.org. Or call us at 612-588-7031. If you are interested in us, we are interested in you
6: don't believe in God? Join the club. Humanists, atheists, and freethinkers have joined the American Humanist Association since 1941 to advocate for progressive values and equality for non-theists in America. Located in Washington, D.C., the American Humanist Association lobbies Congress on Humanist Issues, protects the rights of atheists in the courts, and supports more than 140 local chapters. Visit us at AmericanHumanist.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter to learn how you can join the club today.
5: With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today we could have showers with Heiner 82. Well tonight will stay rainy, with the low round 64. Tomorrow mostly sunny with a high near 76. Tuesday sunny with a Heiner 76. And Wednesday sunny with a Heiner 79. We've had some strong storms with damaging hail come through the Twin Cities recently. Trust the locally owned Snap Construction for a free, thorough property inspection. Their staff knows the process well and has handled thousands of insurance claims. Free inspection 612 333 snap or check them out online at Snapconstruction.com.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and we're having what I would definitely classify as a fascinating conversation with Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and Lynn Fellman. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Maddie, Greg, Lynn, and I this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet or check out the Facebook page at Atheist Talk. Before we continue this conversation, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. I want to note that our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners, you help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I also want to note our generous donors who are wonderful and amazing. And if you want to help keep... Atheist Talk on the air. You can donate either via our Radio Fund page or our Patreon where you can get extended interviews at www.patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization and we couldn't do the show without you and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by a composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note all our opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect those of the Minnesota Atheist Organization. And now with that mischief. Managed. Let's get back to our conversation with Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and Lynn Feldman. Welcome back, everybody.
2: <laughs> Thank you. So, Lynn, you were, um, you, were, you were talking about Maddie's question.
1: You know, and we were, um, all four of us, chatting behind um, the scenes there, and Maddie and Greg, you two fellows, um, had this, a, a much, a lot of thought, a, 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 lot, a better answer than I was giving. So, why don't you just go ahead and explain some of the things you were thinking about.
2: Well, okay. I'll just I'll just summarize that really quickly, and then add in another thought I had, which was, first of all, yes, we think we are not sure, but we think that when they take your sample, they they test for certain alleles, and alleles is a variant of a gene. So everyone's got a gene to do a certain thing, but Scandinavians have a different version of it, and Chinese people have a different version of it, and so on. Um, and they test for those alleles. So now you've got this data set, but they don't presumably preserve a sample to later rerun it for free on you, and then send you an email saying, oh, we also found out. You're from Corsica. Um, So, but those alleles themselves are understood to have a certain meaning now that may change over time. So you Mm -hmm. have a gene that says you're from Scandinavia. Then we later discover that exact allele is actually found among everyone who has Viking ancestry from the 12th century when Vikings were going back and forth between Iceland, Scandinavia, Hungary, and Egypt a lot. Um, which they were. And so it turns out that they refine the data, so they gain information on it. Or they might find out in a certain allele that they pointed to a certain part of the world is actually a general human, human phenomenon, and it turns out that was, there's was no information from this allele anymore, so now you know less than you used to know. I'd like to add uh, two co- quick comments. One is, yes, as Maddie suggested, there's oversampling in certain parts of the world, so if you use that one NIH one database only, everyone's from Dorchester, Mass. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, no matter what, but um, but uh, there's oversampling in Europe, and there's severe undersampling in certain populations because of an assumption that if we take one person in this culture, we've got the entire culture represented. That's the, the entire F A pygmy. Or, sorry, the entire F pygmy genome is represented by I think a single person. The entire Bushman genome is represented by that's the, all the people who lived all over Africa for thousands of years is represented by I think five people. So. Um, There's lots of other African stuff. But anyway, there's undersampling and oversampling. But more interesting than that is there's a difference in how we conceive of these alleles, I think. First of all, an allele that's unique to an area might be exact identical allele allele could easily be also unique to a different area. It might be a single base pair substitution or two base pairs. The chance of that being somewhere else in the world is over. 10-20% probably. So there can be identical alleles from different parts of the world or alleles that the primary is seeing as identical is even more likely. The other thing is we think of genes as being parts of clusters of groups of people that have cultural and ethnic identities. That is utter balderdash. There isn't a Scandinavian genome. There isn't a German genome. What there is is a landscape across which alleles vary over time. So we put these things in our modern historical context you know Scandinavia, even when the Scandinavia even when King Charles of Scandinavia was was marching across Europe, there wasn't a Scandinavia. there wasn't a Sweden. there was a city in which some people lived that called themselves Swedish. Countries did not exist. So through most of the time of human history, the things that we use now as concepts to identify people and our ancestors, they simply didn't even exist then. so so it, it's and, and alleles and genes are not physically in time and space what that modern conception thinks of them as. and I hope that that's our next revolution in thinking of of being more geographic and sort of gene flow about this rather than cultural identity about this.
0: I think it's one thing that's awesome is that you were talking about how it's not just a gene. It's like a whole series of genes. And it's like, that goes beyond, like, where you're from and such. There are so many things where, where it's like, people are like, oh, it's this one thing. I'm like, okay, actually it's more like a series of things, and even then that doesn't control X, Y, Z, and things like that. And it's like oh, yeah. the human body and, and our DNA and how things work out is so much more complicated than people realize. Yes. Yeah, that, that's right, and it's
1: And it's good to know, too, that we're really at baby steps, the beginning of – the genomics re- revolution, and something to think about too. As we think about the fifty-year anniversary of going to the moon, this is, in a way, our moonshot. Our generation—so people that are alive today—you um, know, since two thousand and three, when we've had sort of what they call the finished sequence of the human genome—we're of this generation who really are like the model organism. We, we're the—we're <laughs> the first. Um, people in the experiment. So it's, we know a lot, but still, it's, yeah, it's, there's
2: a lot more to know. I just hope they put a line, a, 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 a column, a variable in the database for something like yes, no, gene inserted by genomic experiment <laughs> or gene altered by CRISPR, because, yeah, you know, that's going to be a relevant factor in the beginning. Lynn, I want to, just mm-hmm. to get maybe in a whole different area, I want to ask you something. I was thinking about. So I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about, I about the art that you do and other people do as being, I had made a joke to you about, you know, why don't artists just write a memo to express what they're saying? Um, And instead, why do they do all this art? Because it's extra expensive, takes more time. Maybe it's more obscure to people. What is it about your art? And uh, those who haven't seen it, just go on the internet, look you up and look at your art. It's got a certain look. It's got a certain feel. uh, It's got a palette. You have a very strongly defined palette. Um, what is it that is about your art that you try to do that is intentionally designed to communicate to people?
1: Um, well, when you talk about um, methods and tools and materials, I love to draw. And so that's that's how I express uh, my visual imagery. And so I pose um, a challenge to myself as an artist. Um how to draw something in a unique way the ideas can be um, familiar and maybe not unique but if I can approach it with a different way of visualizing it it can grab someone's attention um, and so so there's that asp- aspect of it I also I also think it's my job really to use color and use a line just like I said, to grab your attention. Because if I have your attention, then maybe I can hang on to you for a little bit longer and explain something. So that's how I think about the visual piece of my work. Um, In using, when I use um, traditional materials like paper and pigments, it's that sort of yummy quality we get with interacting with with those beautiful materials. Um, I also like to use, the digital imagery because it's, the colors are just so vibrant, um, and they are really engaging as they you know leap out out of our screens. So that there's part of that part of it, but I like to really pair imagery with words to help expand a little bit more what's going on. I'm not essentially a fine artist. Um, who is more concerned about sort of the concept and letting people really interpret. I want people to go away with a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge, and hopefully to be curious and want to explore in their own. So that's why I've used some data in my work, scientific data in my work, that's relevant and personal to individuals. So they kind of get the idea how personal this stuff can be as well as part of a really broad picture of getting into humanity and in the human
2: story. Can you, um, can, uh, I want to just quickly mention, because this is Minnesota Atheist, um, Lynn Feldman is the person who did the cover for Atheist Voices in Minnesota. So everybody who's a Minnesota Atheist member has that copy, copy that book, and you can go look at that cover. But could you explain your DNA portraits? Because I don't think people may not know about that, and I think that's a, I mean, I don't know if you even do them right now, but it was kind of a big deal, and I was wondering if you could explain what, what one is.
1: Well, um, so the portrait is um, starts with process. So, what happens is someone would like their portrait and they'd like to um, include their DNA. So, when if I would work with you, Greg, I would buy a kit for you for you, probably from twenty three and Me or one of the other consumer kits, and we'd send that in and we'd get some results back. The company that I liked best was the National Geographic project, um, which showed the haplogroup roots that would come out of Africa. Um, and that was like a really good migration story of human evolution. So when I got that data back, then, um, or while I was waiting for it, because usually there was a wait, I would have you come to my studio, and i take some pictures, I'd ask you about your family history a little bit, but then I'd start to draw you and do pretty much a traditional drawing, lightness of your face. Um, but then when I got the data back, and I would find out what your story is, being probably British, Irish, a little bit of that, being from the East Coast. Um, anyways, I'd show that haplogroup information that would be the migration coming out of Africa. And good thing about you, Greg, is I'd have your maternal and your paternal line from your mitochondria and your Y chromosome. So I could show both of those roots. And chances are it would come swinging out of Africa and up into, um, across the Iberian Peninsula, into Britain, but I bet you'd have some of your other ancient, ancient ancestors going out east, too, across into the Russian area. But anyways, your faith would then be embedded in a map that would also have that data on top of it. And also, I would write about that for you. I'd give you the information, and I'd compile a little story about your family and about what your DNA, what this information really means.
2: Yeah, are you still doing those?
1: Um, not so much.
2: <laughs> but you would if someone asked you, right? Um, and they're when not I finish free. my
6: book. Yeah, when you <laughs> finish your
2: book, right? <laughs> it's yeah, they're great. This people should look. I mean, it's a great, spectacular. Uh, just uh, I mean, I, just I know you won't say it yourself, but Lynn has the r- range, art range of. A lot of people work with raw materials; they make themselves, or like cloth and paper and stuff, and other people do a lot of digital. Work and, and Lynn does both and everything in between. And these art projects, these uh, uh, the, the DNA portraits is sort of what brought Lynn to national attention, I think, when they happened is that true for your career, mostly?
1: I think they're right, yes. Yeah. I've some of that.
2: Thanks, Greg. And also, uh, your, uh, we can talk about it more later, but uh, your palette, I think your whole palette and drawing style is designed to not only bring people's attention, but to bring their attention into the room in a pleasant and non-threatening way. So, someone, if if you were harmonious, Bosch, people would look and go, Ugh, "What's that?" And then they'd be fascinated. In your case, it's like, "Oh, what's that?" And then they're fascinated. <laughs> Slightly different affect, I think.
0: I just know from the from the brief glance that I gave her website earlier today, I was like, "Hmm, it looks like something I should put on my wall."
2: Ditto. Right, I've got some on my wall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we will return to talk more about our walls after right after the break. Oh, gosh, that just sounded really bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, we'll return with Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and Lynn Fellman. Please stay with us.
6: Crazy about pets? We are, too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard,
1: and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry as we discuss health care, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
5: Hi, my name is Mickey McCabe. I'm the owner of Cucumbers Restaurant at 75th and France, Dino. Many who have dined at Cucumbers are of the opinion that our buffet has evolved from an older, more country-style buffet. They look at our 50-foot salad bar and can imagine a smaller ancestor with far fewer choices. An ancestor that didn't offer as many hot selections or have a bakery with fresh-baked muffins and breads, didn't offer homemade soups and lacked the fresh fruit and ice cream bar that Cucumbers customers have grown to love. But some will say, where are the transitional buffets? In addition, they look at everything that we offer and say that Cucumbers is irreducibly complex. If you were to move just one of our offerings, the entire buffet wouldn't function. Well, I would like to think that Cucumbers was intelligently designed, since I helped design it. But at the same time, it truly is an evolutionary step up the buffet ladder. And as always, if you bring in your atheist newsletter or church bulletin, you will receive a $2 discount off the buffet price. Cucumbers, one heavenly buffet at 75th and France in Dinah.
1: I've never met another atheist.
5: Sure you have. Non-believers make up
2: 12% of the population. Then where are they? You can meet us at book clubs, pub crawls, discussion groups, movie nights, monthly meetings. Okay, I get it. How am I going to keep track of all this? Easy. Sign up for Minnesota Atheist Meetup Group and subscribe to AWE. What's a meetup group? Meetup is an online networking site that helps people build communities. We have over 700 members with at least two events every week. And what is A-W-E? It stands for Atheist Weekly Email. It comes out every Friday and lists everything that's going on.
1: How do I sign up?
2: Go to the Minnesota Atheists website, minnesotaatheists.org. On the left, click on the words, get awe-inspired.
1: And for the meetup?
2: Look for the red meetup badge on the right. Above it are the words,
5: click here to check out the meetup group.
1: I'm sold. Minnesota Atheists, Meetup, and AWE.
0: What's that website again?
5: MinnesotaAtheists.org.
0: Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hurtsey Hertz, in studio today with Maddie Love, Greg Layden, and via phone, Lynn Fellman, artist a science artist, which is super awesome. This is our final segment with Maddie, and Greg, and Lynn. Lynn excuse me. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out the Minnesota Atheists website. We have previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We have a ton of activities going around the Twin Cities and outlying suburbs. If you enjoy the show and all that Minnesota Atheists has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota. Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows and the whys on the website. And now, back to our conversation with Maddie, Greg, and Lynn. Well,
2: we're having a very interesting conversation because the three of us in the studio cannot hear Lynn, but she can hear us. (laughs) So in the last section, we brought up a question for her that maybe she can answer now, which is, if you live in the Twin Cities, uh, in Minnesota Atheist, talk radio is actually heard nationally. It's streamed all over the place, and we have have more listeners not in the Twin Cities than in the Twin Cities, I think. But But you
0: should all come and visit us. Right. (laughs) And and the Twin Cities is awesome.
2: Where, if anywhere, in the Twin Cities now, can someone go and see Lynn Feldman installations or artwork somewhere?
0: well, uh, the
1: University of Minnesota had one right outside of the um the medical the medical college they don't call it that the medical college it's in um a walkway connecting um, to the hospital i believe
2: over on the um, east bank
1: yes, that's right and um the urban research uh building that which is on the north side of Minneapolis that's not quite the full name they had that commission from the university of the five people who represented the diversity of the North Minneapolis area. So that was five portraits. I believe that's in their um, walls throughout their area because it was part of their original um, commission when they opened the building. And I think some corporations have it, but I'm not sure if you could get in the front door. There's (laughs) there's some also, you're right, there's some in Mayo as well some of their um, more corporate offices. That's all that comes to mind, but thanks for asking.
2: And did you do something at the Bell Museum once? I know you and I did something there once. I can't remember now.
1: Well, I think they're still giving talks at their new location there.
2: And have you been Um, to the new location?
1: No, I haven't, but I looked on their website this morning because they do have an artist-in-residence, not exactly a program, but they welcome artists Hmm. to work with their scientists there. No, oh, I think it's,
2: it's a beautiful resource. Yeah, I've only, I went to the opening, and it was interesting because they actually had University of Scientists stationed everywhere, um, and it was really crowded. But there was one guy sitting there with a bunch of radioactive stuff and letting kids play with it just to prove that it was safe. But anyway. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's so cool. It, they, it's a, I, I plan on going back to the belt soon, and it'll just be much less crowded, I think. But it'd be great if you could. So um, what, do you want to talk about the, the um, guild at all? The, oh yes. Um, the, the Gen- Genome
1: Writers Guild. Yeah. right. and and Hel- um Herky and Maddie, thanks a lot for having some of the um, scientists from that group. It's the genome of Writers Guild dot org is an organization of genome engineers. So it's essentially a scientific organization, but um we welcome and encourage and invite members of the public to join. Um, so we have artists and writers, um educators teachers like that and what we're doing now is having one conference a year last year it was in Iowa um, this coming year it will be in July or 2020 I should say it'll be in July in at, at Mayo and the focus is always on what what's happening in the area of uh, genome editing so there's a lot of talk about CRISPR of course Um but also a real focus on plants and agriculture because this is essentially a Midwest group and the Midwest doesn't get its due. It's good scientific, you know, I don't know, accolades, as it should because there's wonderful leaders in Iowa, Wisconsin, and especially at the University of Minnesota and Mayo that are doing really amazing work. So that's what the group is. Um, And then we send speakers to... Out into the community to do some education. Um, we really want the public to be part of the conversation about gene editing, um, especially as it's kind of crashing through into the germ line in some areas of the world.
2: <laughs> at, at, the, at the genome editing conference I went to that you invited me to, I remember the uh, you gave a talk at. I remember um, people talking about these uh, do du- the DIY genome, genomic editing. And it was interesting to see that. There was both negative and positive things to say about it. But there, you, as a person who's interested in science and has, you know, I mean, it probably helps to have a little bit of lab experience. You can go to a place, just like you can go to a place and with other people, like build a computer or something like that, DIY clubs. You can do that with genes. And I think there's places in the Twin Cities to do it, at least one place. Um, and, you know, make your own... I'm not sure what they're all making, but it's mostly Mm -hmm. stuff with bacteria and things. It's not you're not making like new people or anything.
0: um, I remember I I was at a panel at Convergence where they were talking about GMOs and such, and they were talking about kind of how there's a DIY that you can actually do at home that people are kind of doing their own maker.
2: But the Crafting
0: the, of jeans.
2: And the at-home stuff is a bit of a scam because that's like somebody selling you a kit for a lot of money to do – it's better to hook up with these places that have a lab somewhere where they rent some space and there's some equipment that's actually useful at those places.
0: Okay. That's good yeah. to know.
2: Yeah. yeah.
4: This is actually – one of my favorite fiction series is by Jasper Ford and it's, it's, it's absurdist fiction. But he started writing in the early 2000s, and one of the ideas is that people were doing home genomics mm-hmm. and resurrection. Like one of the characters is a pet dodo, and mammoths have come back. And this was all – and reading it was like it's absurdist. It's just funny. It's just like it's not, not actual. And now to hear that it's not the same right. thing. No. But it's still along the same idea. Right. It just – And well,
0: it's one of those where technology is always moving forward.
2: And reality will always find a slightly more absurd road to travel down. So True. I could have I could have a pet dodo is what I'm hearing.
0: I love the fact though the idea of gene crafters because I'm I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination but I love to craft. So like cross stitch and such there's some amazing cross stitch
4: patterns for science. Yeah, but if your cross stitch pattern gets out into the wild, if you right. leave it somewhere, it's you know whatever. It's not a big deal. If if I create a gene that somehow gets into a a population, and i realized that we're not probably there yet with some people at home doing that.
0: There, there's still legal— But that like, could
4: have some stuff. higher, bigger ramifications.
0: <laughs> I don't know. My cross-stitch patterns also involve Satan,
4: so they could Yeah, it like, might be worse. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I guess.
0: I'm just trying to start the next Satanic panic, Well, I'm okay? just thinking of
4: like—I um, don't remember how many years ago. I think it was during the, the, the last H1N1 uh, outbreak, and there were scientists— that there was a controversy because some—there were groups of— Scientists that were trying to recreate very virulent strains of H1N1 Mm -hmm. so that they could study it. And there was worry that that could actually get out and and infect more people. So, So,
0: well, we have about a minute left. Lynn, do you have any final words? And also, where, well, we know where physically to find your work. Where can we digitally find your work? Uh,
1: Well, you can look at my website, which is filament.com studio.com and um my book is coming out on itunes and it's uh if you'll let me hurt to i'll send you the link to
0: that when it's published and it's oh that would be perfect absolutely and all right yeah all right well thank you very much for joining us have a great weekend and we'll see you next week